Miles Sanders is the guy in Philly and a plan of attack for Cleveland's backfield on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fantasy Football in 15 here at The Athletic. Happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday, August 18th. I am Michael Beller, joined as I am every episode of Fantasy Football in 15 by Derek Van Riper. DVR, we've been talking about this specific week, the week of August 17th, arriving and having some actual news to talk about with every team now practicing in training camp. And our Monday that is filling the news for today, Tuesday, certainly did not disappoint. How's it going, my man? It's going really well. Yeah, that flow of information. It's something we thrive on as uh, former Rotowire employees. You know, you <laughs> just kind of expect to see lots of news flying by on the screen on Twitter. And back in those days, of course, we'd write those player updates. And now I just read them because they are the best way for me to stay on top of everything. Yeah, we read them and we talk about them, and that's what we're going to do here on Fantasy Football in 15. Again, a lot of news coming out now. A lot of it, the usual training camp news that you would expect to hear, but still some good news and some bad news when it comes to injuries mixed in that we can talk about here. So the first thing that I want to get to is in Philadelphia. Doug Peterson, not mincing words, said that Miles Sanders is, quote, the guy in his backfield. Uh, He's going to get him more work this year than he did last year. There's been so much talk about, is Doug Peterson a running back committee guy or has Doug Peterson had to be a committee guy during his time in Philadelphia because of the running back resources that he has had available to him? And how you look at that might determine how you value Miles Sanders For me, DVR, even before we heard this from Doug Peterson, I thought Miles Sanders was an easy first-round selection. This doesn't really do anything for me. It just, I guess, maybe makes me feel a little bit better about that. But either way, I really think we see a huge jump out of Miles Sanders in year two. Yeah, and I think we saw flashes of what this season might look like down the stretch last year. The workload picked up. He was heavily involved as a pass catcher. Basically became a 20-plus touch-per-game guy from about week 13 on and was pretty reliably turning those touches into good production. I think this offense could still take another step forward. I think Carson Wentz, I think, is still a good quarterback. I think we've talked about the receivers being a bit of a mess just in terms of figuring out how the targets are going to be distributed, but they've got a ton of talent at tight end. Zach Ertz is really the number one pass catcher. They're going to move the ball. They're going to put points on the board. I think when we're talking about Miles Sanders, we got to start projecting workload. Because efficiency is not a concern for me. I think he's going to be good on a per-touch basis, both as a runner and as a receiver. Are we talking about a guy who can catch 75-plus passes this year? I mean, five-ish a game seems reasonable to me. Is that expecting too much from a guy that pulled in 50 during his rookie season? I don't think so. I think that is a totally reasonable expectation. 63 targets last year. As you said, he caught 50 of them for 509 yards. Also got in the end zone three times as a receiver. And he was splitting so much work with uh, Jordan Howard early in the year. And of course, Jordan Howard wasn't taking away much of that receiving workload from Miles Sanders. But you can't catch a ball if you're not on the field. And I just think he's going to be on the field so much more this season. Boston Scott is going to have his role in the offense, of course. But Boston Scott's role is not going to be anywhere near the volume of Jordan Howard's role last season. Jordan Howard was on the field a ton for this team last season. And even though he didn't factor into the passing game, he was just taking away opportunity share 
from Miles Sanders. I don't see Boston Scott doing that at anywhere near the sorts of numbers that Jordan Howard was doing it last year. So last year, uh, Sanders got the 63 targets uh, played in every game, I want to say, for this team. So we're talking about four targets per game. Yeah, he did, just confirming, played in all 16 games. I don't see any reason why that can't bump up to you know five and a half or six targets per game this season. And if you get that with Carson Wentz, with the efficiency that Sanders flashed in his rookie year, I do think that somewhere in the 70 to 75 catch range is in his realistic range of outcomes. I think when you look at ADPs from August, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on some boards is the fourth guy off the board because Minpick is actually second overall, which is pretty wild if you look at the NFFC numbers. His ADP, though, is seven, so that puts him sixth among running backs, uh, right behind Delvin Cook, just ahead of Derrick Henry and Miles Sanders. I think Sanders versus Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is kind of the mid-to-late first-round running back argument that most people should be having. Like I've been a little bit lower than the field on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire all along because the Kansas City offense is so loaded, which is good in the sense that it gives them chances to score, there's just a lot of ways they can attack a defense. There are a few veteran backs hanging around there. You know, Even with Damian Williams opting out, that's given me just a little bit of pause about the early season workload, especially with Sanders, we don't have that. So what you're giving up in terms of offensive quality, you're getting back in terms of a touch floor. I, I've got Miles Sanders as a 250 carry guy with like a 60 catch floor more likely a 70 catch season and like an 80 plus catch sort of ceiling. Like that's a great player. It's a 330 touch player if he hits that ceiling. And I think he's, again, he's going to be efficient, probably going to find the end zone 10 to 12 times this season as well. In PPR formats especially, I have no problem taking Sanders over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So then where does Sanders go for you? Because I'm with you. I don't have any problem in taking Sanders over uh, Edward Solaire either. But then where does he slot for you? I assume that he doesn't break what has turned into a relative consensus at the top six. Uh, McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott, Kamara, Cook, and Michael Thomas. Does he break into that group? Or are we looking at seven or lower for Miles Sanders? I think he's the guy I'm taking at pick seven. Yeah, so I, I think yeah. it's, it's Cook just ahead You're of Miles Sanders at this point. And then you're taking him over Derrick Henry as well. Yeah, and, and again, that comes back to the PPR consideration. Even in a half PPR league, Henry's involvement or lack of involvement in the passing game really works against him in that format. I'm not worried about the Titans changing up their offense all that much. I mean, I think they right. kind of have to run everything through him. So uh, it's not like I expect him to be a first-round bust. I just think when you're getting a lot more in the passing game, that makes a pretty big difference in the back part of round one. Seven does feel like that first real fork in the road. Unless someone jumps up and takes Edwards Hilaire, it's that seventh pick that does have that fork in the road feeling because those six guys, as I said, pretty much turning into a hardened consensus. And then you've got Edwards Hilaire, Derrick Henry, Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon, Devontae Adams, a lot of different roads that are totally understandable to take. Even though you and I are both on Miles Sanders over CEH, we wouldn't think someone's crazy for wanting Edwards Hilaire over Miles Sanders. So that does have that first fork in the road feel, that pick number seven in the first round. Some more news coming from Monday's training camp. So some injury news. These three things, 
None of them seem too concerning at the moment. TJ Hawkinson saying that he's still not quite 100% after last year's ankle injury. AJ Green tweaked a hamstring, obviously not what he wanted on day one of Bengals training camp, which was Monday after last year, suffering the ankle injury that ultimately kept him out for all of the season on day one, but not a serious issue. He was still running uh, after the injury. They held him out of drills, but he looked fine, so nothing really to worry about there. And then DeAndre Hopkins has missed a couple of practices in a row with hamstring soreness. Again, nothing to get too concerned about at this point. One more injury that was suffered on Monday came in Cleveland. Nick Chubb suffered what is possibly a concussion. They're evaluating him. Now, even if it is a concussion, that's not going to throw his week one status into doubt, but it does give us a good reason to talk about you know, one of the harder backfields to figure out in terms of how you're going to attack it. We know what Kareem Hunt can do. We know what Kareem Hunt role is going to be even alongside a healthy Nick Chubb. I don't think anyone is fading Nick Chubb at where he is going in drafts. Right now, he has an ADP that makes him the 14th player off the birds or early second round in 12-team leagues. Hard to say that he's a, quote, bad pick at that spot, but I also don't think you want to invest two picks into this backfield, into Nick Chubb and to Kareem Hunt. So first of all, do you agree with me? Does Nick does Kareem Hunt come off your board entirely if Nick Chubb is on your team? And then secondly, are you willing to pass on Chubb to keep Hunt as a target later on in drafts? Now, I'll answer the second question first. Uh, no, I'm not willing to do that. And if I do draft Nick Chubb, I'm not also going to have Kareem Hunt on the same roster I think it's interesting, too, kind of like the Miles Sanders situation. Once Kareem Hunt was back from suspension last season, we saw how that impacted Nick Chubb's workload. Instead of being 20-plus carries per game, he was more mid- to high-teens, and his role in the passing game took a really big hit. New offense, of course, in Cleveland this year. It's crowded, so I think that works against Nick Chubb if everybody's healthy. But talent-wise, I have a hard time passing on him where he goes. If I have a pick... Mm -hmm. Late in the first round, and I have that early second round pick, and I'm sitting there looking at Chubb versus Austin Eckler versus Josh Jacobs. Even though Jacobs has less competition for touches, I have a very difficult time passing on Nick Chubb. The efficiency is amazing. We're talking about a guy that's averaged five yards a carry for his NFL career for these first two seasons, hasn't missed a game. He can catch passes, he just won't catch that many. So you get the Derrick Henry problem in some degree, but I don't think he's that far behind Derrick Henry in terms of usage, carry-wise, this season. I think they will go to him a lot on the ground. I think they're going to try and take the pressure off of Baker Mayfield, still run the ball a lot with Nick Chubb. That's going to be a big part of how they have good balance in this offense is having a guy who can win a rushing title and then still have a guy that can come off the bench and also win a rushing title. Like That's the amazing thing about the way this team is right. built right now. Uh, so all that being said, uh, I'm in on Chubb at the current price. I think the market has this right. I know there's a little bit of downside with both of these guys healthy, but I think this offense is good enough to sustain both of them. It's uh, Another thing that works in Nick Chubb's favor is the fact that I don't think you want to be passing on these proven running backs when you have an opportunity to get them. And if you do end up passing on all those guys, right, if you're picking on the turn and you go receiver, receiver, you go you know, Devontae Adams and Julio Jones or something like that, uh, you really do put yourself in a tough spot once the draft gets back to you at the end of the third round. Nick Chubb prevents that from happening to you. Kareem Hunt, to me, is one of the hardest guys to value DVR. I feel as though we know what the upside is, 
But that's what all we're talking about. All we're talking about with Kareem Hunt is upside, upside, upside. He's going to have the receiving role no matter what. What if Nick Chubb gets hurt? What if they give him a little bit more run in the running game? What if Kevin Stefanski just steps up the profile of Cleveland's running game? We know that that's the style that he had in Minnesota as the offensive coordinator. But there seems to be some significant downside to Kareem Hunt, and I don't think it's being priced in at all. Like, is he ever going to get double-digit carries in a game, or is it going to have to be a game where Cleveland just runs it up and they run the ball 35 times and that's why he gets double-digit carries? Like, I can't see him getting more than a fifth, maybe, of this team's carries because Nick Chubb's been so good on the ground. To me, it feels like there's a lot more risk tied to Kareem Hunt than is being talked about right now. Yeah, and I mean, he was stopped in January, I think it was, had an open bottle of alcohol during the traffic stop. I mean, like that's just poor judgment, obviously. Uh, there was assault prior to that. We've seen the video. It, it, there's there's a pattern of concerning behavior, to put it very mildly. And I think just the fact that he really doesn't get double-digit carries when Nick Chubb is healthy means you can really only rely on Kareem Hunt in PPR leagues, and that's if he's used the same way as he was last year. So as talented as he is, there are a ton of problems here. And I probably won't have Kareem Hunt on any teams this year when it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. But look, there's talent there. If something happens to Nick Chubb between now and week one, things change and the ADP probably shoots up close to the back of the second round for Kareem Hunt. Like that's, that's the type of player he would be with that opportunity. Yeah, market is just not pricing in the downside here. He is the 55th player off the board in a typical draft with an ADP of 54.71. Some guys who he's rubbing elbows with, Terry McLaurin, Mark Ingram, Tyler Lockett, Cam Akers, Keenan Allen, Zach Ertz. You are going to have no problem starting those guys right off the bat. Like, are you even starting Kareem Hunt in week one? I don't know. It's hard to say. He just didn't get a ton of carries last year, and I can't imagine it changes too much here in 2020. A few more things to hit on. We did have a few serious injuries on Monday, unfortunately. Jalen Hurd, who looked like he was uh, set to be a really interesting player for San Francisco this season, he likely suffered a torn ACL. Gerald McCoy officially did suffer a torn ACL, was said to be a big part of the defensive front in Dallas. So we got a little kicker news we got to talk about. I got to sneak it in. I do so many shows with our buddy Jake Seeley, who just won't let me talk about kickers, so I got to get it in when I can. Uh, the Giants cut Chandler Catanzaro. They signed Graham Gano late last week, so it looks like they'll be going with Graham Gano as their kicker for the 2020 season. And then Des Bryant going to be working out for the Ravens this week. We're going to get a little bit into the anatomy of what makes a good late round wide receiver target uh, on an episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast a little bit later this week. But DVR, I don't think Des Bryant fits that. He's an interesting guy to look at and interesting from a real life standpoint for this Baltimore team that has you know, a, a wide receiver depth chart that still has a lot of moving parts behind Marquise Brown. I still don't think he's going to be all that interesting from a fantasy perspective, even if he does end up getting signed to Baltimore. No, he hasn't caught a pass since 2017, so there's that. And when we last saw him, he was not efficient on a per-target basis either, so I don't think going two years without being a contributor in the NFL is going to be a good thing. So I would agree with you, Des Bryant is not what I'm looking for in a late-round receiver. 
Yeah, you're shooting for upside is basically what you're uh, looking at when you talk about late round wide receivers. And, you know, no one wins with the guy who ends up being the wide receiver 50 because he's the wide receiver 50 week after week after week. You will win with a guy who is the wide receiver 50 because he gives you a handful of wide receiver 20 weeks and then a bunch of wide receiver 70 weeks, something like that. That's more the profile you're looking for, not a guy who can be consistent. And I'm not sure Des Bryant can be either of those guys this season, but it will be something to watch uh, with his workout coming in Baltimore a little bit later this week. We're going to have three more episodes of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast for you this week, but we got to say goodbye for today's show. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and also you can still get yourself a free seven-day trial if you go to theathletic.com slash football in 15. For DVR, I am Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.